Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, it's working, so let's stick with it. That's what I say. And uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, Mayor Triple Threat's most recent television ad, that's what uh, she argues. You wouldn't know it by watching the news or listening to the haters. But on crime, Mayor Lightfoot's got a plan. She's putting more police on the streets and getting more guns off them. When it comes to new strategies, new technology, Lightfoot's invested more than any mayor. Those are facts. Anyone that says there are simple solutions is lying. We didn't get here overnight, and we have a long way to go. But Lightfoot won't quit until we're the safest big city in America. It's good enough for me. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. It's so cute. The safest big city in America. She's not going to stop, Dan. No. She's all in. you got to give her some time. Give her 20, 30, 40 years, and uh, let's see how she does. That is the customary probationary period for public officials in Illinois. It's at least a couple of generations. Uh, By the way, uh, major crimes up 41% last year, police staffing down 12%. But I get it. I get it. We just concluded an election where the supermajority of Chicagoans believe Governor Jellybelly provided tax relief and his purge law would make families safer, so why not try it? I mean, kids aren't even safe at our schools because obviously because of that OIG report, we're, you know, we're sending our kids to schools with rapists and groomers and they're still able to go to their job. Oh, okay. So, yeah, this is good. I mean, we did only have 11 people shot, one killed over the weekend. But then, you know, Monday night we had two shot in River North. I mean, the list goes on and on. We have six carjackings a day since 2023 began. You, you You had half the police force in Old Town last night. Oh, yeah. It was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the Very other thing I like situation. about that commercial, too, is, mm-hmm. hey, we didn't get here overnight, and, hey, you got to give me some time. Aw, shucks, you know, I'm doing my best. That's that's my cl- that's the classic Dem socialist answer in this state. But, again, the electorate loves it, so why not keep giving it? It's a three-pronged answer. I've covered this before. Uh, it was... Um, really brought home to me by Mike Madigan's former spokesman, Steve Brown, when he actually agreed to do an interview on a show on the weekends I used to do here, uh, Illinois Rising. And 45 minutes, 45 minutes roughly, just with Steve Brown going through all these issues. And the common refrain, it's not as bad as you think. Okay. There's plenty of blame to go around. Yeah. And we're working on it. There you go. All right. Those so three things, all you need to know, right? Stop then? busting my hump. Yeah. Not as bad as you think. <laughs> Plenty of blame to go around. We're working on it. So would you give the little lady a chance, people? 
the little lady with the biggest schlong in town. That's right. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA. And a quick comment. I mean, does she have a chance to actually win this, to pull this off? She shoulders a heavy burden, and she carries around a heavy burden between her legs. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, does she have a chance? Does she have a chance I to get thrown off? I, I, sure. I mean, I think it's. I think you know, it's it's four for two. Uh, Willie, Paul, Lori, and Chewy, and I, I could see almost any any combination of the two. Pr- probably Chewy is in the strongest position, but it's marginally stronger than the other three. And you know, I, we had Willie on yesterday, and. Um, I thought that the end of the conversation we had with him, like there's some there's something that that uh, showed through with him that I thought was pretty inspiring. I mean, I I, I like him. I understand the questions about him, but I also do think he doesn't get the credit as I expressed to him. He doesn't get the credit that uh, somebody who has been as successful as him normally gets when they run for office. They say, oh, Willie Wilson, businessman. And, they, you know, you see him buying people's gas and handing Brushes, out cash yeah. and spending his own money running for office. So, you know, he's got cash. But I don't think he's given the reverence that uh, a lot of people normally give to somebody who's amassed a fortune in the tens of millions. And so, I, you know, I, so I, uh, we asked about that. And, and 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 this crit, you know, and, and it, the reason is nobody will say it, but me. But the reason is because the way he talks. Yep. And so I said, you know, so what about that? And I, I liked his answer. He said, you know, this is, I, I, he didn't say this, but we know the backstory. I mean, he he uh, left school in grade school. He was a sharecropper in Jim Crow, Louisiana, and he made his way north with little education in a. Uh, America that was discriminatory by law and made his way up north as so many black Americans did. And then he made his way in this life and he accomplished a lot. And it doesn't mean he's not without flaws and there aren't, aren't a lot of questions about what kind of mayor he, uh, he would be. But um, that's not nothing. Uh, that's something. And, um, you know, it's it's bad enough we don't respect productive people in this city and state generally, but then to watch it play out in a mayoral race where we're supposed to think some flunky career Paul like Chewy Garcia oh, is God. a breath of fresh air yes. and is going to do something different and has any ideas kicking around in his head after 30 years in office, we know he does not. By the way, before he was part and parcel of all that's bad in Cook County, as an elected official, he's part and parcel of all that's bad in Springfield as a state official, a state legislator. I mean, come on. He's done nothing. Lori Lightfoot's record f- speaks for herself. And, you know, Paul Vallis. Uh, I, I'm, know, I'm all in for Paul Vallis. I know you are, and I know John Cass is, and I know a lot of other people are, particularly center-right voters. And, you know... I think Paul's a smart guy and a competent guy, but I don't. I'm not sold on him as a leader. I'm not sold on him as a leader well, what whatsoever. It, what's it going to take to convince you? Uh, where, I mean, for, for example, and nobody spoke out, but that doesn't excuse Paul Vallis. Why didn't he say anything about that OIG report? Oh, he did. He was on our program on Friday, 
and talked about it and was appalled by it and just um, you would do things differently. There'd be more accountability. I know you don't like that word, but um, there'd be a closer relationship between the OIG's office and the office of the mayor. I mean, we, no. we, it was breaking when he came on and we, we you know, talked about it right. right it wasn't breaking. Bat. It was it was out on Thursday. Well, it was th- well, I got it Thursday night. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, he's been an administrator and frankly, and I'm not blaming him because I don't think this is a one person turnaround job. But these big urban school systems like CPS or elsewhere, he's been Philadelphia, New Orleans. But. But also, don't tell me you accomplished something you didn't accomplish. CPS was a catastrophe under Paul Vallis, prior to Paul Vallis, and subsequent to Paul Vallis. Now, you can argue on the margins about how big a catastrophe, but it was. It has been a uninterrupted catastrophe since I've been on this planet. So don't tell me you turned around something that didn't get turned around and may not, cap- may not be capable of being turned around. That's actually my argument, not in its current form. Well, he's a big advocate for school choice. Yeah, so is Willie Wilson. So are, uh, I mean, I probably, I actually probably those, those, th- those are the it. two. Yeah, you're right. Those are probably just the, the only two in this race. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I just, I don't trust him, Paul. You don't? I, I don't trust him in this God, way. I trust him. And I don't trust him to be a revolutionary leader. And I don't mean rhetorically i mean substantively you know I'm, i get the sense and i've you know had a number of conversations with paul over the years off air including the, our interviews on air and i get the feeling that and i have some reason to believe this that he says very different things to very different people and i get the feeling that and I've seen this play out. I've been critical of him and some of the way he's chosen to handle press criticism. Like he thinks he can, like he thinks the press are his friends. And he, oh, I know that. I know that person. I know this person. I can manipulate them. I can spin them. I can have a private conversation, set them straight, and everything will be fine. He doesn't like have a, an appreciation for what the media actually is in this town. Um, he did leave CPS with a $1 billion surplus. No, he didn't. That's he did a lie. not. That's a lie. He, th- he, say, he says that all the time. It's just, it's just nonsense. Nonsense. Um, and, but, you know, he, he's always been a, uh, he's been a political animal all his life. And that's fine because I largely have been too. But I'm just saying, uh, you know, he, he started out as like J- J- Jeremiah Joyce's legislative assistant. Yeah. So uh, uh, he's an institutional man, and you're telling me the institutional man is going to be the maverick, the guy who ran as Pat Quinn's vice uh, a lieutenant governor candidate, right? That guy? Pat Quinn. Um, mm, but I so, think he genuinely cares, and I know you're not into feelings and all that gobbledygook stuff, but he cares about people, and he can communicate well with people. Well, I of think all Will- different p- walks of life. I think Willie Wilson cares about people and can connect he does with too. people. Yeah. Of all day. I mean, so what's the separator? I mean, I have, I, again, I have qualms about Willie, so this is not an endorsement or some sort of, you know, this is the perfect candidate and this is the flawed candidate. They're all flawed candidates. So I, just, all, yeah. I, I, just, I, just, I just don't buy that he is willing 
to back up some of the tough talk we hear from him intermittently against all the institutional interests, even though he was an institutional guy and then he's sort of been rejected by the institution. But it, it, I, I'm not sure if he is more interested in being accepted by the institutional interests or really going to war with them, because the only way you're going to improve conditions in Chicago is to go to war with these institutional interests. And I'm not sure he wants to, really. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 30, or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy talking about the, the mayor's race uh, on the occasion of Triple Threat releasing her latest TV ads, and she's got a plan to keep the public safe, and it's working. Oh, yeah, that's right. They make these declarative statements like everything's going to be okay, crime is down, and it's all a bunch of lies. Uh, wanna, we'll get to your calls in just a second, but I just wanted to layer in something else on the public safety front. This uh, Jason Riley writes about in the Wall Street Journal, a study by professors um, at the University of Utah looking at, uh, like, no-cash bail laws like New York State has, like Illinois will have if the Supreme Court doesn't hold the Pritzker Purge law unconstitutional. They concluded, after more generous release procedures were put in place, the number of released defendants charged with committing new crimes increased by 45%. Proponents insist that uh, only low-level and nonviolent offenders can take advantage of these reforms, but the study found the number of pretrial releases charged with committing new violent crimes increased by a third. That's a big deal, and that's a big number, and we've documented it anecdotally over the last couple of years, thanks to the reporting of CWB Chicago, of the number of people who were awaiting trial for a felony, out on bail, and committed, well, killed or attempted to kill somebody while awaiting trial for an unrelated felony. And the numbers, both in 2022 and 2021, were more than 70, and they uh, represented uh, another 40 deaths, round numbers, that could have been prevented over the last two years. Um, Real people. 
real people gone that didn't need to be gone if you keep violent offenders behind bars awaiting trial, uh, particularly habitual ones. So just uh, more evidence, since I know that the people in charge of Illinois are men and women of science and data. Sure they are. And uh, the point that Riley is making, he's flying off of a presser held by New York City police the other day, uh, Monday, where they uh, are responding to a business group that's been formed in New York City to protest the lack of justice being meted out for habitual shoplifters. Uh, this is a um, New York City police official describing the situation. 63,000 shoplift complaints this year. We arrested 327 people. 327 people that account for 30% of all the arrests, of all the arrests. 327 people have thir- are 30% of our 22,000. Half of them, or almost half, are convicted felons. And guess what? 235 of them, so 235 out of 327 are walking around the streets of New York right now, guess, doing what? Unfortunately, making stores close or make families wait 15 minutes, 20 minutes to get something unlocked because there's not a lot of consequences. And the, um, the 327... 235 are walking around right now, as he said. The 327 were busted a total of 6,600 times. Collectively? Yeah. 327 people responsible for a preponderance of the shoplifting busted 6,600 times. 6,600 times. 327 career criminals. 235 are out. That's why they're career criminals. Right. Wow. So three twenty. So so. Uh, let's see. A little back of the envelope math. What is that? Um, twenty two times per person, per person on average, rough, roughly. I mean seriously. And the point that Jason Riley makes, and that those professors who study the issue make, is, um, you know, sometimes shoplifters don't just stop at shoplifting. And of course, we see the same dynamic in play in Chicago. And for as much discussion locally and nationally as New York has gotten about their violent crime problem and even not so violent crime problem, shoplifting, not always violent crime. Remember, I know it's working. According to Lori Lightfoot. Chicago has a higher murder per capita rate than New York and L.A. combined. Yep. Combined. 2.7 million people in Chicago. The combined population of those two cities is what? 14 million? 12, 13 million? It's working. Roger, Southside. Morning, Sophia. Um, I guess uh, when do we really just start talking about how how long we have here? Because here, just the fact you just threw out just now, Dan, I mean, it's not going to last. I mean, when do we start writing the history books about how large of a failure this Marxist sick culture, what what it's done to a nation, much much less here locally? Um, If I could, could I jump back on your mayor thing from like 10 minutes ago? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, here, 
Yavelis is the smartest guy in the room. Um, he was never anything more than a, a hatchet man for Rich and Bill Daly. I mean, his own neighbors didn't like him. Not that he was home that much because he was putting in 24 hours a day, you know, squeezing and uh, squeezing people and politically doing this and that and stuff like that. Yeah, but a little bit too late. Um, he was never liked. And him and Chico, and, and when they were at Fortabed, it was a disaster. And anybody that didn't go their way, what they did was turn them into the facts. And those are true facts. Thanks for the call, Roger. Here's the thing, though, too. Um, you know, the the idea is like, oh, this is a different sort of campaign and Ballas is running a much stronger race. Is he? Um, I, I know he's raised a little bit more money, so he's got commercials on the air earlier, and that's good. Which he never had before. That's needed. But he mainly benefits right now from, as compared to four years ago, from Jerry Joyce and Bill Daly not being in the race. And he's still only hovering in the, you know, the the – low to mid-teens. I, I don't sense that uh, he is... I, I mean, I sense that all these candidates have a relatively low ceiling, um, which is why they're... I mean, from polling a, a month ago now, which I don't place a lot of stock in just because so much has transpired and people aren't tuned in and so forth. But, you know, this is why they're bunched up between what rough, rough, roughly said... But, yeah, there's about 10 points that separate the four of them. Um, so there's a lot of give there, and that's why I don't think it's a fait accompli for anybody, and I, I, I think Lori Lightfoot could easily be out of the runoff just as easily as she could be in it. Uh, Ron, Southside. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, you know what, Dan? Well, first of all, yeah, it's, it's, boy, this is a tough choice because I, I know I can't go with the mayor and definitely chewy dead on arrival as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Yeah. But – but as far as uh, Paul Vallis, and here's the thing, I don't think that he has the intentions or he will challenge the uh, institutions and the way things have been done in this city the majority of my life. He just wants to manage it a little differently, see? Mm. He's not interested in changing anything. No, yes, he, he is. He has a comprehensive well, okay, well, public safety strategy, and he's very woke, I mean, yeah, very... Okay. Nerdy, okay, yes. Would, what and has he done to show? And then, no, then he did on point. I've heard him up the dial a little bit. He sings a whole different song. So you know what? Uh, I, but again, he just want to give it a different look. Talk about it a little differently. Not gonna do anything. But guess what? I don't think he's gonna have a chance because he's not gonna gonna go, go in either. So th- those are my comments. Thanks for the call, Ron. Well, Amy, if you want to defend Paul, go ahead. Well, I'm I'm just saying that he's, you know, he puts out these big, long, lengthy articles on Facebook about public safety, about crime, how to fight crime, how to balance the budget. And people just don't have the patience to read it. Yeah. And he's got to be more on point. I told him that, too. Like, you've got to be more succinct in your answers. You know, boom, just hit hit the talking points. But then just, you know, if they ask, describe a little more what exactly is your plan. Yes, something simple. He's going to hire back those 2,000 and try to hire back even more police officers that left. He's going to be make policing cool again. You know, I think, I think Ron framed it nicely. I think that's the question about Vallis. Is he somebody that just wants to be a more efficient and more honest administrator? 
you know, the green eye shades, Paul Vallis, the wonk, the back office guy? Or is he someone that is interested in taking on those institutional interests whose approval he sought for so long? Not the CTU. He'll take on the CTU. There was not one strike while he was in charge of CPS. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a feature or a bug. Um, the I'm not, and I, I believe he'll take on the teachers' union. Oh yeah, you're you're sort of compelled to, no matter who you are, to su- to a certain level. The question is, I, I'm not looking for entertainment. Uh, you know, no. seeing seeing two people on the same side pretending to have a fight, like we saw with Lightfoot and the CTU. We saw with Tiny Dancer and the CTU. We even, to some extent, saw with Daly and the CTU because. You know, the, these problems uh, metastasize under Richie Daly. Let's not forget. I certainly won't. Um, but but is he really interested and capable of advancing the flag for system change? Not efficiencies, not squeezing a few more pennies out of the this budget or that budget. I'm talking about wholesale system change culture change is he that guy i i think there's some question about it i have questions about it uh tom blue island hey good morning dan and amy uh quick aside dan to the answer to the question you just asked no he's not paul vels is just another 30-year democratic hack but uh willie wilson Probably gets probably done an incredible amount of interviews. I wonder, Dan, how many times someone's asked him about how he speaks. And when you asked him that Never. question yesterday, the tone, his tone notab- noticeably changed. But you know what Willie Wilson didn't do like uh, Big Dong would have? He didn't say, I'm a black man. He didn't, he didn't make any excuses. All he did is he stood his ground and he spoke about his accomplishments. His statement of, I write my name on the front of the check, not the back of the check, I thought was poignant. But you know what else he didn't do? He didn't get angry. He answered the question. And who knows if Willie Wilson would or wouldn't be a great mayor, but it's hard to argue he's not a great man with what he's accomplished, especially with what you described earlier in his biography of where he came from, despite not being real great at uh, um, English grammar as far as agreement is concerned. Thanks for the the call, Tom. Yeah, well, this is – I mean, this is why I was – you know, the charter member of Whitey's for Willie four years ago. And, and I got to tell you, when he uh, answered that question about the way he talks, I, I appreciate it. Like, if he's, like it, there, was a dignif- there was a dignified tone in his voice. It's mm-hmm. interesting you catch the, the change. He wasn't like, you know, giving pat answers to a policy question. He's saying, L- look, I get it, um, but this is who I am. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what I've accomplished. I'm proud of what I'm trying to do. And, you know, I, I provide an example for people who, like, don't have all the polish that you're supposed to have as a politician to uh, accomplish the, some of the same things that I've done and, and maybe do some more. That He gave a minute riff. And we got to cut that up and, 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 play and, it, yeah. and, and isolate it. But he gave a minute riff at the end of our conversation with him that I thought was – that broke through. I thought it was really – uh, a look at the core of the guy. And you don't get that a lot with the politicians 
generally and especially here. But um, I, I thought that was yeah, I, I was I was impressed with uh, his response because nobody will ask him the question. Well, except me, because I don't care. Uh, because it's real. I mean, that's that is his problem. This is why he doesn't get the respect he deserves. Let's just be right. honest. And, and yeah, and glad you asked it because I I would never have the courage to ask and, that question. And, and he, but 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 he, like he, but he he but knows he it thinks too. he knows it. He knows that's the right. issue. I mean, he, you know, like you think these people are uh, don't know the whispers behind their backs and stuff. So just confront them with it. And and he's obviously given it a lot of thought. He he's he's I'm sure he's faced the ridicule for. Uh, most for you know, a lot of his life, particularly in public, and he knows the jokes. He knows what people say. So ask him about it, and he had a response at the ready because he's thought about it, and I thought it was genuine. He's um, a wonderful man, and yeah. he is very philanthropic. But what I took away from the interview yesterday was that just throwing money at the problem. He always throws. If there's a problem, money's not going to solve everything. No, especially the larger level in the city of Chicago. Well, clearly that's true, <laughs> but but um, but he, it wasn't just. That. I mean, when we talked about the CPS issue, uh, I mean, he he said Pedro Martinez is gone, and and you know he, he sort of gave a businessman's answer about policies and procedures and and uh, safe safeguards and redundancies to ensure that the sort of predatory behavior that is apparently occurring regularly in that system doesn't occur anymore and the auditing function of the apparent massive fraud that's being committed on the number as to the number of kids actually in the system I don't know I mean that you know they didn't those other answers didn't wow me by any stretch but I don't I haven't heard anything that really does I mean yes I've read all of Paul Vallis's policy statements and again he's a thoughtful guy and he understands how things work he should at this point he's been in the system long enough and Again, I think he would tighten things up, but would he reinvent, to to borrow a a trite description, reinvent city government? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Phil in Maryville. Hey, how you doing? Morning. Um, You know, these criminals, they may be crazy, but they're not stupid, and I don't why the state legislators don't put laws into effect that make minimum penalties harsher, uh, that these judges and state's attorneys can't go around because the criminals don't fear the system at all. Yeah, well, thanks for the call, Phil. Um, let, let's just uh, take stock. I mean, it's like, why why doesn't the Cook County, uh, Cook County judges, why don't they do something that the state legislature... Uh, isn't doing well one to some extent their hands are tied with things like the purge law Two, let's remember who the chief judge in cook county is tim evans right tim evans tony preckwinkle kim fox Lori lightfoot these are all uh the same side of of a coin i mean uh, they're all fellow travelers ideologically that's why talk about personnel being policy you see it in on full display and on full tilt in Cook County. Tom and Deer Park. I don't vote in the city. I no longer own property there. I know you don't vote in the city. If not Paul Valley, because who anybody wants to apparently can. All right, maybe, maybe you got a plot at Graceland, but yeah. uh, you you got a couple ten thousand suburban listeners and a handful in the city. If not Paul Vallis, who? Exactly. 
Well, I just I mean, that's that's the conversation we're having right now, and I just told you who. I mean, the the choice is between Vallis and Willie Wilson, as far as I'm concerned. And my position I, I, again, I, it's not John Cass's position, it's not Amy's position, it's not a lot of Republicans' positions, as they they see him as the only, you know, like adult in the race. I don't think he's the only adult in the race. Is he the smartest guy in the race? The the uh, sharpest policy wonk? Yes. Has he closed the deal for me? No. And I just explain why. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, about uh, that FAA computer glitch that has all these flights grounded that Mike Scott was reporting upon. Just remember one thing. What? Butt is your secretary of transportation. Oh. So if anybody will get to the bottom of this and get it quickly resolved, it's somebody who has romantic feelings towards airports. Yeah, because so. he got engaged at O'Hare Airport, Dan. It's a beautiful story. It is. And he yeah. likes choo-choo trains. There's no question. Mayor of South Bend, perfect choice to so elevate much. to secretary transportation. <laughs> okay, well, good luck if you're uh. stranded at the airports uh, waiting... Uh, the resolution of that problem. Um, that's never that's fun. A, no. I mean, for system-wide to be down, I, I wonder if it's a a hack of some sort or what's going on. Well, I'm sure it has something to do with hacks. I don't know if those are the ones in government or those that uh, break into computer systems. But uh, we'll keep you updated on that, as will Mike Scott, as the morning proceeds. Hopefully it gets resolved quickly. Um, I, also, I heard uh, his newscast, because I don't, watch these uh, self-congratulatory award shows. Uh, Banshees of Inishiran won for Best Picture. Is that mm. right? I think so. Is that what I heard? Um, Best Director went to Steven Spielberg. And your girl from uh, Tar, she won. Oh, Best Kate actress, Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Yeah, her performance in Tar was outstanding. Yep. That's mm. that's a good movie. Todd Field. And the Hollywood Foreign Press agrees with you, Dan. Uh, I could have I called that one. Todd Field, too. He's like a... a He's really an excellent director. Um, all I think his uh, previous two films were both nominated for Oscars. Um, he's not well-known, but he should be. And uh, Tar is another uh, outstanding film from Todd Field. But um, 
Uh, Banshees of Inishiran. That's Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, it, it basically the, the movie is an allegory of the Irish Civil War in the 20s. But uh, these are two. Uh, Colin Farrell has really grown on me. You know what my turning point for Colin Farrell was? What? When I, I thought, you know, for early in his career, I thought he was sort of a mimbo and like a, you know, it's another one of those Hollywood action people. star yeah. kind of guy. That, that's where he was tracking. But he's not. He turned for me. He, you know, my opinion of him turned Crazy Heart, where he played um, the, you know, the up and coming country star uh, in the the movie that won Best Picture, Jeff Bridges, right? Great movie. Um, that, that's where it turned for me. And he's done a lot of good work, and he is outstanding in Banshees, as is Brendan Gleeson, who's a great actor. Uh, if you haven't seen what's Brendan Gleeson's best movie, probably. Probably Cavalry. Yeah, you should see Cavalry if you're a Brunton Gleeson fan. Or so if you're best motion, a cinephile. Yeah, best motion picture drama went to The Fablemans. Have you seen that yet? I have not seen that. Me neither. And best motion picture musical or comedy went to The Banshees. Yeah, it's a dark Banshee, comedy. Yes. Um, and, and Brennan, actually, Farrell was in another dark comedy where it was a, a strong performance. This one wasn't as good, but uh, it's from a few years ago, The Lobster, if you haven't seen that. Um, the other thing I saw just kicking around the internet, and then we'll get back to more serious topics. Uh, did you see the fashion choice of one Billy Porter, who's sort of a, he's a Broadway actor and singer? Yeah, I loved it. The big long cape. It was a suit, but then it went. It was kind of a male female type of outfit, so it was a male on top, and then it flared out at the bottom. Uh, flared out. It was a tuxedo dress. <laughs> it was a tuxedo ball gown. There you go. So and he uh, wore it well. Who wore it better? He did. I can't wait for prom season uh, this year uh, at the local high schools because I, I'm sure that will oh, be all the rage. Right. If you haven't seen Billy Porter's outfit from yesterday, it's worth checking out. And he wears uh, then, it a lot. The tuxedo gown. And then say a little prayer for America after you view that picture uh, of Billy Porter. Uh, okay, uh, the Three Stooges of North America got together yesterday. That would be uh, our guy, Mr. 10%. That would be that uh, drama teacher, grade school drama teacher from Strange Brewland. And then uh, AMLO down south of the border. And uh, when they deigned to take questions from the assembled press, of course, the big guy, Mr. 10%, was asked about those classified documents that were found at, uh, as Tucker Carlson calls it, I think appropriately, the fake think tank the University of Pennsylvania set up for Joe Biden when he was uh, out of office. This is what he had to say about those documents. People know I take classified uh, documents and classified information seriously. Do we? When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me, secure office in the Capitol, when I, the four years after being vice president, I was a professor at Penn. Uh, they found some documents really? in a box in a locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. And they did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, immediately called the archives, turned them over to the archives, and I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. 
I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. And uh, there will be more detail at that time. All right. Well, that, uh, is that good enough for oh, you? Yeah. That, that's, uh, that sums it up for me. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. No need for the uh, Blackhawk uh, Black helicopters and, uh, and, and uh, hovercrafts and tactical it's, teams it's to team descend, upon, <laughs> descend upon University of Pennsylvania. Because, uh, uh, well, that's, that's uh, you know, he tidied up very nicely by Joe Biden, don't you think? I mean, this is a complete White House cover-up. They knew about it. They only The only reason why we found out about this Monday night is because a reporter asked them about it. And then they had to come clean. And don't forget, you know, this is a president who kept saying, I'm going to have the most transparent presidency ever. And I'm with President Trump on this one because he wrote on True Social yesterday. Why didn't the Justice Department announce the highly classified documents found in the Biden office before the election? Mm-hmm. Yes. And things, people are wondering. Things that, things that are covered up before elections when it comes to the Bidens. You could write a book. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, by the way, this was uh, Biden in 2018 in an interview with Andrea Mitchell at his fake think tank talking about uh, classified documents. In 2018, Joe Biden addressed his access to classified information in an interview with me. This was in the context of Russia's interference in U.S. elections, and it was in that office, the Penn Biden Center. I don't have access to classified information anymore. I don't get briefed every morning by the agency, as I did for eight years. No, you don't have ac- you don't get briefed anymore. But apparently, you had classified documents in your closet right behind uh, where you were sitting, uh, seated, doing that interview with Andrea Mitchell. I mean, what what about the the trace of the chain of custody? Who who moved those boxes into that locked closet? And then when they were moved, because there was a year, Dan, before that place was open, where where were they for that entire year well, before the Biden Pen think tank was opened? Uh, there's there's a lot of questions, um, including wait, you don't know what documents were in your possession, and. You have been advised by your lawyers not to ask about them. What? Here's Representative Michael Waltz from Florida. Where's the FBI raid? Mm-hmm. You know, where is this big show of force to make sure there's no other classified documents there? I mean, if you forgot about those, are there others that he forgot about? Well, the spin, too, is that, well, you know, there was only a dozen documents here as compared to 150 documents for Trump and so on and so forth. That's interesting spin from the D.C. press corps. Does it matter how many documents are in your possession if having one document that you shouldn't have in your possession is a violation of federal statutes? I mean, that's the argument that's being made against Trump, these documents in his possession that he wouldn't turn over, even though his lawyers were engaged with the National Archives, too, and and they were back and forth. And uh, I know that the cases aren't exactly uh, parallel. But sort of at a fundamental level, they are. And the argument about who had how many documents and what their classifications were, if 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 being in possession of any documents was violative of the law, then. It's violative of the law. And also, on the one hand, you had a president and we still don't really have an answer to this. And Trump hasn't provided it either. 
A president has the ability to classify and declassify. A vice president does not. Exactly. A secretary of state does not. So, again, what what is the the principle of law and the specific statute that's at bar here? And what's its application uh, in one instance, like with Trump, uh, versus another instance, like with Biden? I'd like an explication of that from Merrick Garland, just in terms of setting the standard of analysis. Not you don't have to tell us what you're going to do. You don't have to tell us where the investigations are. You can, you know, provide the usual cover for yourselves. But what's the standard of analysis? I'd like to know. And according to Fox News, the classified documents um, included intelligence assessments about Ukraine, Iran, and the UK. Hmm. Hmm. And also, but here, this is how the left responded to this, because, you know, Biden had 12, Trump had 160. Who cares? One, as you mentioned, one document is one too much. The brief euphoria on the right that this would somehow, you know, exonerate Trump by whataboutism. Uh, it's already turning into a bit of a hangover because of the stark contrast between the actions of the current president and the former guy when it comes to classified material. We all know that Trump is a liar and a thief. We don't think that Biden is a liar and a thief. Oh, okay. So we give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, all right. Well, that's Rachel Maddow and, and Joy Behar. Behar. I mean, yeah. uh, okay. I mean, there's just people not making any sense. They're just making statements without any right. evidence or logic. But OK, sure. It doesn't matter what Biden does. You know, there's also the issue. So documents related to Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, other like, documents. Mm-hmm. Uh, UK. There's the issue Steel. of the number, the amount of money that the University of Pennsylvania gets from the Chinese government. As uh-huh. so many universities in this country do. That's sort of a general problem and a general issue. These Confucius Institutes we've been talking about for years now, for example. And then there's this. Uh, Tucker Carlson mentioned this last night. Uh, he and his staff did some uh, look-seeing about this matter in terms of what was what kind of communications were going on uh, when Biden was sitting at a desk in his think tank. And so they looked at uh, contents that are available from Hunter Biden's laptop, which has been substantiated now by the D.C. press corps. Oh, so, thank you. So it's real. And there's a problem on the border, too, right? Uh, here's uh, Tucker Carlson's summary of an interesting email they found to – Hunter Biden's daughter, Naomi. So all of this aroused our suspicions naturally. So we decided to get a closer look at the University of Pennsylvania and its ties to China. We took a look at text messages from Hunter Biden's laptop to see if we could find an answer. And we found messages between a senior professor at Penn's International Relations Department to Naomi Biden. That would be Hunter Biden's very young daughter. The message from the professor begins this way, quote, Dear Naomi, I'm writing you tonight to invite you to take part in a major conference in China at the end of March. I've been asked to help recruit a prominent young leader. They, the Chinese government, will fly you business class and, of course, provide all of your accommodations. I don't think it would surprise you that they are interested in you thanks to your family name. I would not take offense at that. It is truly the Chinese way. And frankly, better you than that dolt, Tiffany Trump. If you're interested, can you send me your CV and or a bio? I would forward that, and you could expect an official invitation from Li Baodong, the secretary general of the forum, end quote. Pretty remarkable. As far as we know, that has not been previously reported. So here you have an employee of the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school, 
sending an invitation, apparently on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party, to recruit Joe Biden's granddaughter for an influence operation, saying that she'd be flown to Beijing and stay in Chinese government-controlled accommodations. So a lot of people on television seem very concerned about national security at the moment. All these former CIA and NSA and FBI employees are going on CNN and MSNBC to tell you national security implications are first in mind. Are they concerned about this? Will they ask a single question about it? Of course they won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's interesting given uh, Hunter Biden's connection to uh, Chinese communist energy magnates. And, you know, you're only a magnate in China if you're part of the Communist Party. His the amount of money he got from uh, Chinese communist interests for this private equity fund that he stood up. You know, Hunter Biden's a super talented guy. He's an expert in energy policy and particularly the oil sector. He's uh, he's a a financier that's worthy of multi-million dollar investments from Chinese communists to stand up a private equity fund so he can you know, deploy resources to improve companies that are underperforming. Yeah. That's what private equity does. I'd love to hear a, uh, a market review of the sectors where Hunter Biden has particular expertise in terms of the decision making there, all this stuff. And then now you're talking about classified documents at, oh. at the phony think tank, in addition to the uh, documentation of uh, calls made by Mr. 10 percent that seem to be on behalf of Hunter Biden's business interests. Well, this is Biden, Inc. Meetings that were had. Uh, and tell, so tell, tell me more if one of the classified documents relates to Ukraine, Ukraine? then yes. um, and then the you're not getting any of our uh, uh, foreign aid if you don't get rid of this prosecutor that was looking at Burisma. Yeah, it was investigating his son's firm. So Biden went to Ukraine twice. I mean, I, this intelligent assessment about Ukraine, I want to see that. Well, we're not going to see it because it's classified, but I want to understand what was going on here. That's the point. I want to understand exactly what documents he had, generally speaking, and what they relate to and uh, connect all the dots, putting the puzzle pieces together, the timing of conversations, the timing of meetings, the particular nature of the documents that he had um, bump that up against what he was doing while he was you know passing the time at the University of Pennsylvania a lot of questions here and then again yesterday pretending uh, maybe he doesn't anymore maybe he never did I don't know but it seems to strain the bounds of credulity that we we decided we made a decision to keep these documents and to store them at my phony think tank for six years. Yeah, but we guys. made that. So we made right. the decision to do that. To do something illegal. Why, what? Well, whether it's illegal or not, we made the decision to keep these documents and store them at the phony think tank. Why? Nobody reviewed them. You were just picking boxes of documents randomly. I don't think so. So why were those documents selected, and then? Generally speaking, what information do they contain and who had access to that information and how was it used or was it used? All these questions that the D.C. press corps doesn't want to ask, as Tucker said, and won't. And all these former spooks and national security experts that are on these shows that 
you know, dutifully go on to just run interference for the left. National security. Frank Arlington Heights. Good morning. Well, the, the simple answer is the, the Democrats are above the law. That's what it is. And, and the conservative yes, media well. should just run a continuous you know, series called in another episode of Democrats are above the law. This I mean, we, we get all excited about all these different things that happen and it should just be filed under that. But uh, that's the way it is today. We don't live in an equal justice under the law society any longer. It's Democrats are above the law. Um, yeah, that weaponization of government committee. It'll be interesting to see what uh, work product they're able to to produce. Anyway, go yeah, ahead. Interesting. Yeah, but uh, you were talking about movies before, and uh, oh. you mentioned you mentioned Steven Spielberg, which got me thinking of you know stream of consciousness, who he was married to, which is Kate Capshaw, right? Which then got me thinking of the movie that she was in that I remember her from. Space Camp. Do you remember Space Camp <laughs> when we were kids? I thought you were going to say Indiana yeah. Jones. Um, well, Indiana Jones Part Two. Yeah, but right. Space Camp. You know, Space Camp had Joaquin Phoenix. I think his name was Lee Phoenix in it. It had Tom Skerritt, Kate Capshaw. It had the mom. What's her? I can't can't remember her name from um, Back to the Future. Um, you know, Marty McFly's mother. Yeah. And, and Wait, uh, then Leaf, Leaf Phoenix. Leaf. You mean River Phoenix? Uh, no, it, not River. It, River, it, River was the guy who, who was the heartthrob. And well, then yeah. Leaf was his yeah. brother, but he changed his name to Joaquin. And then Tom Amy Skerritt. Amy had a poster of River Phoenix up in her bedroom. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. might have. Tom, Tom Skerritt, Skerritt underrated, a, underrated actor. I'd leave here. He's like 90. Yeah, he's really good. And, um, you know, in Argo. Leah Thompson. Guy, oh, Leah Thompson. Thompson. Thank yeah, you, right. Mike Scott. <laughs> Very good. Somebody who spot, then, somebody probably went to space camp in addition to seeing it. And then the lead teenager in the movie was his name is his name was Kevin something or other. He was in uh, Argo. He was one of the um, guys who was being rescued. So I mean, just a, a really a bad, really good movie. Ben Affleck movie. Yeah, that was yeah a, a bad movie where AI sends kids up into space um, without you know human authorization and gets everybody in trouble. And um, you know, really bad movie, but a lot of good actors in there that went off in different directions. So that I was think... my. Uh, yeah, I, w- I didn't. I didn't see that. I think that was. I was busy uh, during that time period, studying the uh, films of Otto Preminger. So I think that's why I didn't see. Yeah, it. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, it, when I was in junior high, I wasn't that intellectual. I was more yeah. into Goonies and Karate Kid Part Two. And uh, well, I'm glad you matured, Frank. And so that's, I did. Yeah. All right. Do you Do you have an impression for us today? Um. Well, that, that was kind of it. Was oh. uh, that was uh, the main key one. I'm going to space camp. That was what he said. I know you don't really recognize that. You don't know yeah. it. Maybe you got to go see the movie. Maybe you got to go see the movie, Dan. Right. Or there's another line in there where, he, where where somebody asks the kid, Rudy, how come you're taking science, Rudy? How come you're taking science? It was kind of a big dig on science and so forth. And you know, I don't know. It was a All fun right. movie. My brother and I always make fun of it. And uh, but just I just thought I'd bring that up for some levity today because uh-huh. you know the Democrats are above the law. We have to kind of distract ourselves. All right. Well, well, instead of instead of um, forcing your students to watch Space Camp, why don't you know have them check out like Anatomy of a Murder? You know. All right. I'll have to film. look that one up. I, I like I said. Jim, I you don't know that. you don't know Anatomy of a Murder, a man of letters like yourself, Jimmy Stewart. Come on. Jimmy Stewart. There you go. Uh, now you're doing. You. Now you're doing. You're doing Dana Carvey doing Jimmy Stewart. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's, very that's, good. I learned from the best. Have a good Thank, one. Thanks, Frank. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
Yeah, on this latest installment of Campus B, we've got a couple of things we'll try to get to, but uh, first and foremost, I love this. Companies, uh, including uh, HRNA Advisors, which I think is a real estate development company, are asking job applicants in the name of equity oh, no. to keep their colleges off of their resumes. You only indicate on your resume the degree, like I got a oh, BA please. in economics, you do not indicate where you got the degree from. So Eli shouldn't put down that he's a chemical engineer. Chemical, from, stop, stop, stop. From stop. Georgia Tech? No. No Georgia, no mention of Georgia Tech. Right. Just, That's just when he gets accomplishment his, to get in. When he gets his BS in chemical engineering, uh-huh. just the BS. Because oh, really? otherwise you engender bias as uh was reported these companies doing this a quick spin through a few other hrna job postings confirmed the policy extends company-wide as part of quote their ongoing work to build a hiring system that is free from bias and based on candidate merit and performance uh-huh 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. What do you think? I mean, I, I, you know, this is this is die cannibalizing the left, right? D- diversity, inclusion, equity, die, or DEI as they call it, die is what I call it because that's where it takes society to its death, um, the elimination of merit, and that's what this is. But... The the great part about this is, I mean, think of the varsity blues scandal and think of all of the uh, people who flaunt their people on the left who flaunt their academic credential where they went to school as some indication of how smart or talented they are. Think about the competition among status-seeking families, keeping up with the Joneses in the leafy mm-hmm. suburbs to make sure your kid is go- either going to an Ivy League school or some uh, wildly expensive, exclusive liberal arts school in the Northeast, something like this. And now, hey, if you're going to be a good die acolyte, you got to strip the college off your resume, sister. you got to strip that off. In the interest of equity, you're... You're an ally of the equity push, aren't you? You mean I can't well, tell people you, I went to University of Iowa? You can't tell people you went to Harvard. You can't tell people you went to Yale. You can't tell people you went to Mount Holyoke. Dan, Sorry. you can't tell people that you went to Northwestern. Well, I can because I'm not an acolyte. But <laughs> uh, but I, I just I just love it. I mean, I love examples because it provides some hope where the left you know, collapses in on itself. And you think of all of these Chardonnay Antifa broads in places like Hinsdale and Naperville, that the, the, whose lives are entirely consumed with status and conformity. And wait a second, I want the people there to know. I mean, you know, it'll be an arm's length, a, a call somebody, make sure they know that you went to this uh, perceived great school even if you can't put it on your resume but 
it does provide a little bit of a hurdle. It's it's very interesting what's happening now as you have companies like Dell and Google that are considering career certificates um, uh, for entry-level jobs that are not requiring a BA or a BS for consideration for a job. It, it, they're, they're removing that sort of artificial barrier because it made sense to create that, I think, once upon a time, but that time has long since passed because the idea that you earned an undergraduate degree from really anywhere, but particularly from schools that are more difficult to get into. Right. I mean, it's it says something about, well, they had to put together an, their exceptions, legacy and buying your way in. I get all that. But right. but a lot. It says it says something about, well, you had to you had to have a pretty good academic record. You have to be a good test taker. You have to have done some extracurriculars. You have to be somewhat well-rounded. I mean, it's more likely than not that you are. Uh, you have to survive on a college campus for four years and not fall prey to, uh, you know, enticements like boozing it up every night and so forth to get right. through and get and finish your degree. So well, it shows that you're focused, you're smart, and you have strong time management. I mean, it, you worked yeah. hard to get there. That's an accomplishment. It should not be Some, hidden. Right. It's, it's, and again, it's more likely than not. There's certainly a lot of exceptions, but more likely than not. But what does that credential mean anymore, including from the supposed uh, elite schools that are always on the, in the top 10 of the U.S. News and World Reports list of the best colleges in America and so on and so forth? What does it really mean when they're just leftist indoctrination camps? Where instead of being free marketplaces of ideas, they're stifling, narrow-minded places. What does it really mean? What does it really mean if I have a degree from Yale where I spent, uh, you know, my time arguing on one side or the other of what's an appropriate Halloween costume? So, and and so I mean, in a, in a sense, I really love it because I think it continues to provide some reckoning for what so many, most colleges and universities have become. Not all, but most. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. John Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, I think it was that Felicity Huff, but I think the last laugh is on them because paying all that money to get their kids into a prestigious school. But, no, we don't want to know what school you went to when you work. I'd love to get her take on it. Oh, exactly. But that, but, but that, the Varsity Blues uh, celebs, that's just, you know, one slice of the status-seeking uh, population out there, right? You right. can go, they, they had money and they paid for it. John and neighbor, you <laughs> could you could go knock on your neighbor's doors. They're paying, you know, seventy grand to send their kid to Vassar. <laughs> okay, I hope it was worth the three bills. Now you can't tell anybody at a job, uh, at least for your entry level job, where you went. And not and again, it's this is not corporate America wide, but I just like the markers that are being thrown down here. It's inevitable that this cannibalizes, that the left cannibalizes itself. The, the only question is how much damage do they do in the process? How long does it take? Now, the flip side of this, some good news, too. We don't get to, to offer too much good news when we do our campus speed segments. Where you have seen college attendance, college enrollment, I should say, uh, 
decreased by 13% over the last decade. Mm -hmm. There are small liberal arts colleges that are committed to a classic education that are actually seeing spikes in enrollment. For example, University of Dallas, uh, which is a conservative Catholic university, uh, they have they uh, just celebrated. Uh, I, wait, what was it? oh, they they had the, I'm sorry, they had the second largest second largest incoming class in their 66 year history in the fall of 2022. Dude. Second largest Hillsdale College talk about a lot Christian College there in Hillsdale, Michigan. Applications up 53 percent as of the fall of 2021. Uh, Thomas Aquinas College and others. You're seeing a flight to quality. So it's really interesting. I mean, what you're seeing when it comes to so many things in America these days, including where you call home, is a real uh, separation. Uh, people are making choices based on values, effectively. You could call it quality of life in terms of uh, where people choose to live, but it, it it's really laden with a value judgment that people are making uh southwest florida versus chicago uh texas versus california and so not now and again these are small colleges so this is not like some indication that there's going to be a turning over of these schools with massive endowments and tens of thousands of kids but it's something People are sort of separating. I, I don't necessarily think that's great, but I think that you should reward people that are providing the best product, building the best mousetrap. You should take advantage of schools that are going to give you an advantage because they're going to equip you to be more prepared for you know, the the world and they're just going to they're going to equip you to be better people more interesting people because you're inquisitive and because you're challenged and they're going to just create more well-rounded citizens and that's a good thing that's part of the mission of college it should be in a classical liberal arts education the major universities have given up on it generally speaking so it's nice to see that some people are still searching for searching for said, even if they're uh, they got to dig a little bit deeper than they used to a generation or two or three ago. Yeah, the status thing, <laughs> not being able to run around and share your resume with a with a the brand name under education. Oh, that's that's so good. And you spent all that money and nothing. Can't and right. put it and, on paper, right? Please. Right, and and what are people mainly spending that money for? The credential, yeah, the credential, right? Yeah. To help further your career and get a the, solid job. The brand equity of uh, you know going to this again reputedly great school, Ralph and Rantoul. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning. Hey, you know, I fought so hard to just survive getting through my chemical engineering at Purdue. I figure anybody who would be offended by that, I'd be proud to offend those people. There's no way I'd want to work around or with chuckleheads that would be offended by that. But let's take this to its logical conclusion. Strip resumes of all relevant data. 
did stuff at places, right? And, yes. and I think it could help like ex-Madoff company employees did financial stuff in big city. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. That's, that's a good idea. That's perfect. Thanks for the call, Rob. Oh, yeah. I got to talk to him about being a I, chemical engineer. I was the uh, chief technology officer at a... At FT. Yeah, at a no, I was a chief te- technology officer at a financial services company. I don't have to disclose it was FTX. Right. Yeah, that'd be perfect. I love it. Um, well, and by the way, we mentioned this yesterday in conversation with Ted Dabrowski, but I just wanted to put a uh, exclamation point on it, some details to it. The suburban schools, suburban high schools, talking about here. Listen up, DuPage County status seekers. Because <laughs> uh, there's not enough money for you to pay to get into the schools you want to send your kids to with what this, the high schools are producing. Do you know? Am I um, laughing at what DuPage County has become? Yeah, I am. Because you deserve to be ridiculed. And that's speaking as you know somebody who hails from Wheaton. The... Test scores, yeah. the English test scores, DuPage County Public High Schools, 43% of DuPage County High School students passed the 2022 state English exam. Only 43%. Oh Their the scores are down in the aggregate 15% from pre-pandemic levels from 2019. And listen to these numbers. You would think I was talking about CPS schools when you hear these numbers, but I'm not. The number of percentage of students that passed the state English exam, 14%. What? Addison Trail. 19% West Chicago. 21% Fenton. 28% Willowbrook. The Glenbard schools, those are good schools. Yeah. Lombard and Glen Ellen. Oh, lovely suburbs. Hilltoppers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Glenbard East, 28% passed the state English exam. Glenbard North, 29%. What? How about Downer South? EGS. 34%. How about Hinsdale South? Hinsdale South, 39% passed. How about, since I mentioned it, Wheaton, Wheaton Warrenville South? That has to be higher. 43% passed. Oh, my gosh. Wheaton North, 49%. Downers North, 50 50. 50% passed, 50% failed. Wabonzi Valley, 50 50. Glenbart South, 50 50. York and Tony Elmhurst, 52. 52%. you have anything there for Hinsdale Central? Hinsdale Central, yeah, was number one with 71%. But that's still... That's 30, yeah, that's... Three in 10 in Hinsdale Central not pa- did not pass the state English. high school English exam. Oh, my God. Nearly six in 10 DuPage County public high school students are not at grade level in English. Boy, you better hope they can keep the high school 
names off their resumes too, huh? Stay the course, DuPage County. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Time now for another reason why Dan Proft is single. Uh. So uh, one of these ghastly uh, dating apps uh, did a big survey to get some publicity for themselves of uh, why people ghost or end a date or relationship, right? Uh, Here's the top line of uh, why Dan Proft is single, according to one dating expert. Is that a real thing? Uh, The current trend in dating at the moment is dating up, finding someone who can better and ele- who, who, who's find someone who's better and can elevate their own lifestyle. So the goal for all singletons, that, is that a thing? Is not only to be co- to be someone who can help someone else date up, but find someone who can elevate themselves at the same time. So if people are trying to date up, well then, well why wouldn't you try to? That's the, no, that's bad news for me. Oh, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, um, but I thought that that some of what they came up with was kind of interesting. In terms of this, what they call their ick list, like things that are immediate turnoffs that oh, you'd yeah, end, yeah. A re- end a relationship over or you disqualify someone. Yeah, why you were rejected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I have, I have things to add to a list, yes. Um, I agree with this one. What? Um, 14% of men would break it off with someone who wanted to share food on a first date. Yeah. I don't like I that. never share food. Hey, look, I, you I get hate that. You get whatever you want. I'll get you whatever you want, but I'm going to get what I, I'm here to have a meal too myself. No, yeah, right. I know some people are into sharing, uh-huh. and, and I say that, but yet I take French fries from people's plates all the time. Most of this is about women being intolerable. Um, I got to say, no. I mean, number one on the list, forty. If you look at the top forty dating deal breakers, I yeah. agree. Smelling bad. Uh-uh. Deal breaker. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair. That's for men and women. If you wanted to date Dan with somebody who had horrible body odor, that would be the last date, don't you think? Or Yes, I do okay, think. thank you. Yeah. This is great. Uh, the number two is for you. No, actually, it's for pretending to be more knowledgeable about something than they actually are. Yeah, that... <laughs> That's doesn't. I mean, that's not a deal breaker. No. May it just mean you somebody may need to get leveled off there. But um, actually, you know everything about everything. So. No, not quite. I mean, a man do. has to know his limitations. Um, but here's a couple more, like like women being intolerable. Uh, top X, you're smelling bad, right? Uh, right behind that, what? being obsessed with zodiac signs. That's women. The third topic, also women. What? Exclusively women. I'm not saying all women, but I'm saying this is exclusively a problem of females and some male impersonators, some P-hats out there. And frankly, that's a problem, too, that a lot of women date basically de facto women. All you have to do is, you know, go to downtown Hinsdale. You'll see what I mean. Uh, Here's clapping when a plane lands. Speaking of planes, 
That's a cultural thing because every time you, I we used to go to Puerto Rico because my ex is from there. When we would land, everybody would clap. And it's like, thank you, Jesus, that we didn't die <laughs> in a plane crash. Yeah. Mm. Mm. What about this, Dan, being rude to a waiter? I'm never rude to waiters. No, I know, or waitresses. I'm not either. I never. Uh-huh. I'm never am. And I always ask what their name is, and my family cringes. Like, no, what? I don't like, I I don't, know I don't like what that. Their name is. No, 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 no. No, I, mean, I used to waitress, and you just. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. You're like, we're not going to be friends. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't care what your name is. You don't care what my name is. I mean, oh. let's just be polite. But this is a this is a transactional relationship. No, but if you need something, you're not going to go like, hey, hey, you. You know, I just like, hey, Kim, can you come over here and help us, or can you get us some more water, please? Thank you. Well, you just say you just wait for them to come back to your table. Or you say, "Excuse me," I don't. and then you you don't have to say, "Excuse me, Johnny, can, can you get me another meatball?" I don't. No, you don't have to. We, we don't have to have a first name mm. relationship. I'm fine. Oh, with that. I do. Now, if it's if it's a place you frequent, yes, and you become friendly with a bartender or oh, waiter or whatever, okay. that's different. A bartender is but a like, lonely man's best friend. But but everybody introduces themselves to everybody. No, no. I do that. <laughs> no. Absolutely. That's a deal breaker. So that would Fine. be. Fine. I'm off the list. Uh, what one about and done. Dirty fingernails. And this yeah. one, long fingernails. Oh, if men have long fingernails. Ugh. Top top 40. So smelling that right now. Rude. Living. Uh, da, 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 be, uh, da, da, da. Too clingy. Yeah, nobody likes clingy. Nobody. And that goes on both male, female. Mm-hmm. Oh, I went on a date with somebody and he was so clingy. Calling me. All the time. When are we going to go out again? Like, well, we're, Edward, we're not. Edward James almost. <laughs> okay, I did go on a date with him. Yes, Mario Lopez. I did go on a date with him too. What other celebrities? Paul Conrad. I went out with Paul Conrad, and he used one of my He's jokes. A, is he a celebrity? Paul Conrad's Paul's... a celebrity. Is it, uh, weathermen are celebrities. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Paul Conrad is a celebrity. What else? Anybody else? Um, Tom Selleck or somebody no. like a big star. Not, not that Edward James almost is pretty big star. He's also 50 years older than you, but that's fine. <laughs> complexion so bad. No, Castillo. I get it. Ooh, ooh, stop, please. Okay, I, I didn't see it coming, and once it started, I was like, I didn't know what was happening. Uh-huh. <sighs> um, I would have forgot about that clapping on an, when an airplane lands, but that is so annoying. It is annoying. Oversharing uh-huh. on social media. Mm. Still living at home. That's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this one, not being able to drive. I mean, who are these people going out with? <laughs> well, they're either Edward James almost his age, you're too old to drive, or they're <laughs> they're minor attracted persons. Well, a lot of people in the city they don't have they don't have cars. Everyone takes the bus. Everyone takes CTA. Um, a lot of their parents don't have cars either. Wearing sunglasses indoors. Oh, who does? Who does? Well, you know, if you're a big celebrity Ooh, like Paul Conrad, one... you can get away with it. <laughs> having a bad tattoo. Well, Ooh. the whole thing, I got to tell you, the I'm whole not ta- no, not anybody with tats ever. Not not bad tattoo. A tattoo. Yeah. Is there such a good thing as a good tattoo? And these women, especially younger women that you oh, see all tatted up and they got sleeves and stuff. It's okay. it's it's so terrible. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but I'm just telling you it's repulsive to me. Well, later on in life, that's not going to look like that. And you can't take it back. It, you it cannot, and they don't understand their bodies are so beautiful. And you're only young once, and they're they're destroying it with these tattoos. Yeah, it doesn't look good now, much less when they're sixty. But 
I mean, look, yeah, there's I'm, there's uh, any number of things people find repulsive about me, I have no doubt, uh, just generally speaking. But that is just repulsive. I go back, the tattoo thing, the, yeah. the standard line, the signature line on tattoos what? from our friend Theodore Dalrymple, the great uh, psychologist and or psychiatrist and, and author, social commentator. You know what a tattoo says? What? You know, that sense to the outside world. I can't defile myself fast enough. And that is unattractive. And it's hardline attitudes like that. Why Dan Proft is single. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. And that's another reason why Dan Proft is single. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, okay, uh, our friend Steve Moore... Economist, author of Godzilla, he's stranded at an airport because all domestic flights are grounded until uh, until when? Until 8 a.m. As uh, Mike Scott reported, oh, okay. at, at least for starters, we'll see. We'll see if uh, this threat to our democracy is addressed by then. P butts on the job, though. I know Steve. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. What's happening? <laughs> hey, good morning, guys. I'm sorry I'm not going to be out on the regular time. I'm I'm supposed to leave uh, for. Uh, D.C. from LaGuardia this morning, and I've been stuck at the airport for <laughs> about an hour and a half. You know, there's this FAA, I don't know, was it a power order outage or what? You Computer guys know glitch. more what's yeah. going on. Computer yeah. problem. So, yeah. you know, I'm looking at the board right now, about half of the flight. You know how the flights that are on time are in, you know, in green, and then the flights that are delayed or canceled are uh, in red. And I'd say half the flights are in red right now. So I don't know what's going on. It's almost like a reprise of the Southwest debacle. And I assume you're flying your Gulfstream G5. So even yeah, private, exactly. even, I mean, even private private aircraft, jet. private jets yeah, are grounded after, too. Yeah, right. Well, that's because I'm the I'm the exclusive uh, chief economist for the Dan and Amy show. So <laughs> exactly. You know, it pays handsomely. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like this transportation issue. I, I can't believe this is happening, given that Pete Buttigieg is our transportation secretary. I, I thought all these problems were taken care of, you know? Well, the good news is he could, that, be, he could be, by the way, he could be our next president. You know, he's true. the one that all the liberals want. You know, he's yeah, done such a great job. I know Ke- I know Kevin Costner wants him, but I think that's about it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, but the good news, though, you're stuck at an airport, but as we know from Peabot, the airports are very romantic places. There you are. So, and, uh, you know, and so, you know, I got my Dunkin' Donuts here. I got my uh, coffee after waiting about 30 minutes. Uh, but um, Was well, the airline just, telling you the what's going on, Steve? You know, they're not. I mean, now, look, we'll probably get out of here at some point, but it's going to be about two hours delayed. And there were a lot of la- uh, flights that were canceled. Now, I don't know what it's like at O'Hare or Midway, but, um, you know, if we just maybe got the government out of transportation. Did you see that story, by the way, guys, about how they don't want to build roads with the infrastructure bill? <laughs> You know, they want to be build build windmills and solar panels and you know buy uh, you know bullet trains that nobody rides. But but we're not going to fix. We're not going to have roads. You know, well, because, right. And they have this logic. I love this logic. They say if we build roads, that's going to put more. It's going to make congestion worse because more people are going to drive their cars. So with that logic, we shouldn't have any roads at all. Well, maybe that have any traffic congestion. Maybe we that could be offset <laughs> if we ban stoves like uh, gas powered yeah, stoves like the Biden <laughs> exactly. administration is looking at yeah. doing. 
and light bulbs. You know, this is amazing. The, the, the new rules just took effect on light bulbs. They're, the government's, folks, we're not making this up. They're, they're telling you what kind of light bulbs you can put in your lamp in your bedroom. I remember in the good old days, Dan, when the left said, keep the government out of the bedroom. Yeah. Well, big brothers in your kitchen now. And I mean, 40% of U.S. households use gas stoves. And I, I don't know if you either of you, cook, I'm a- but I hate cooking on an electric stove. I will not do it. Yeah. I have to have a gas stove. Oh, Are yeah. they going to come into our house and shut the gas line off? Yes. Yeah, I mean, do you think it'll come to that? Don't, don't you understand, Amy? This is going to save the planet. I mean, come on. How could you be so selfish? Oh, yeah. You are going to save the planet if they force you to use an electric um, stove. Uh, and th- this is this is their logic. These people are are uh, like religious fanatics when it comes to this stuff. And and the stove police and the light bulb police uh, yeah. are going to be soon and you know inspecting your home. I think it's fun to see them uh, one-upping each other. So the Biden administration is focused on gas-powered stoves. And Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, is going to eliminate natural gas as a heating source for oh, all buildings please. in New York right. City. Exactly. New York State, maybe. Yeah. New York but City, for certain. I want to make sure, yeah, I want to make sure that your listeners know that natural gas does is a clean burning fuel. There's, you know, we one Not of the reasons enough. we've reduced the amount of lead and, car, uh, you know, the, uh, the amount of smog and the amount of uh, other uh, contaminants in the air is because we've shifted to natural gas. And for some idiotic reason, oh, I know why it is, because they say carbon uh, monoxide is a pollution. No, folks, carbon yeah. dioxide is not a pollution. Carbon monoxide is a pollution. You can die from carbon monoxide. monoxide. But here we have the clean burning fuel and they want to force people not to use it. And incidentally, they're going to use electricity now uh dan and amy i don't want to make this too tough do you know where we get the electricity from natural gas yeah <laughs> well <laughs> you know i think i think the, the 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 moral imperative here is to stop photosynthesis from occurring i think <laughs> if we could if we could figure that out uh that i think we'd be in a good position um so steve uh, b- uh before we let you uh, go yell at yeah. another ticket agent um the uh the, the 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 speakership of kevin mccarthy and uh house republicans beginning in earnest with setting up committees are you are you encouraged by what you've seen now that we're past the vote yeah yeah i am i am encouraged I, look i mean you and i uh, the three of us talked about this a little bit less last week this was a big victory for the conservatives no question about it and the, the you know the left and the media are hyperventilating about this but it was basically saying you know look we're going to have new rules because we can't go on Do you know what the, the cbo just came out with their numbers yesterday that's the congressional budget office you know what we borrowed last year amy take what? a guess the federal government <sighs> trillions i have no yeah, yeah well you're close one po- you're close 1.4 trillion dollars one point and by the way biden's taking a victory lap for that dan you know, <laughs> yay! Yeah. Because the year before we borrowed two trillion. Exactly. I mean, these are outrageous numbers, and it's look. This gonna, I'm going to be very plain about this. It's simple. This is going to bankrupt our country if we continue to do this. Well, and so we I'm got. Glad you're giggling rules about it. About, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it, this is this is a real serious a serious of the heart attack. And the fact is, the Democrats are going to put up a big fight about this, about you know doing any spending cuts. Um, when we have a budget that is uh, completely out of control. And, you know, when you're borrowing a trillion and a half dollars a year, when I came to Washington in 1985, our debt was about $1.5 trillion. Now it's $31.5 yeah. well, You know, Stephen Moore, I made the mistake yesterday of looking at my 401k. 
And uh, it was flashbacks uh-oh, uh-oh. to 2007 and 2008 where I finally got that money back. Uh, how long do you think it's going to take to get the money that I lost back? How many more years do I have to be hump- You know, I mean, look, I'm not a great uh, <laughs> stock market prognosticator, but I know Dan's much better at that than I am. But I would say that, um, you know, look, last year was a really, really bad year, like the worst year in 15 years for the stock market. Um, but. I, I mean, look, we have lunatic, we have crazy people running our economy today. Well, that's encouraging. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look. Uh, by the I, way, who do you I, except I, for except for Preet Buttigieg, of course, except for him. I mean, well, I, 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 so. I, just for the record, I, I did tell Amy to go to cash. And you she, did. She refused, but um, you did when? When was that? Oh, a year oh ago? I, I went Two to cash uh, in December of twenty twenty one. Well, so that was I was I was, because, I was you know, out you, of the market you, all you year. You probably saved. Yeah, because the market was down on average about twenty percent. So, Amy, Dan saved you a lot of money. Well, well I could have listened. If you listened, yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, that's the story of my life. Hey, uh, one good news uh, when it comes to uh, climate po- energy policy. Oh, yeah, Jay Powell's pronouncement uh, yesterday that yeah. we are not and will not be a climate yeah. policymaker. He's not taking the bait. That's encouraging. It was. I mean, you know, look, uh, we have a we we have a Federal Reserve Board to try to stabilize our currency, not the not to uh, stop the temperature of the planet from rising. So I, w- I was really pleased about that, too. But, look, I'm not going to praise him too much. No. Jerome Powell is the one who created the – remember, it was this time last year, it's transitory, it's all got to go away, don't worry yeah. about the inflation. I'm looking for silver linings here. Uh, all right, Steve, yep. we'll uh, let you figure out your travel situation. Steve Moore, economist, uh, GovZilla author. Steve, thanks as always. Good luck. Bye, bye guys. See ya. Bye. Thank you, and he joined us on our – Turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The American Academy of Pediatrics has struck again. They have provided uh, their first guidance in 15 years on childhood obesity. And uh, what they say, by the way, this is being reported uncritically by the D.C. press corps. Oh, yeah. Nothing to see here. Hmm? Waiting doesn't work, says uh, Dr. Ilhuma Anelli, co-author of the guidance. What we see is a continuation of weight gain and, and the likelihood that they'll have obesity in adulthood. So the American Academy of Pediatrics says the, that teens should be offered medical treatments such as drugs and surgery in addition to intensive diet, exercise, and other behavioral and lifestyle interventions. Doctors should offer adolescents 12 and older who have obesity access to appropriate drugs and teens 13 and older with severe obesity for uh, the barometric surgery, weight loss surgery. Yeah, like lap band surgery. So what do you think? If you've got a fat kid, uh, 12, 13 years old, you're ready to uh, put him or her on drugs and uh, under the knife? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro I, text line. This is barbaric. Why does the left always want to operate on our children? When you're 13 or 14, you're about to hit puberty. And when you hit puberty, boom, all that baby fat around you, it, it disappears. I mean, my son, my older son, was a large child and we've talked about this and you know and he probably would be considered for diet pills or possibly surgery but they go they go he would have been at that age he would have been at the right but i'm saying that that is 
sick. Let us govern our own children and let's promote physical activity. Let's pr- let's. This is the surgery, the pills. That is the easy way out. This is a wussification of our society and of our children. Oh, you got a problem? Just take this pill. Yeah, that's easy. Just get this surgery. So we'll cut your stomach. You know, take out a fourth of your stomach, so you won't eat so much. It's they should be ashamed of themselves. Well, unfortunately, the American Academy of Pediatrics is uh, not capable of shame. And the CDC is going along with this, too. The CDC. Well, of course. You know, don't kiss your dog. Don't eat cookie dough. Meat should be cooked at a certain temperature. Those people. Do you get the sense? You get the sense that the CDC and professional organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics are wholly of subsidiaries of the pharmaceutical companies? Because I'm starting to get that sense. You think I like so? The way you think there. Yeah, uh, pills, and, and you know, and let's let's uh, give something back to the medical profession too. The the uh, money from these uh, uh, lap band or barometric surgeries. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, that's right. It's a business. I mean, the whole it know, is a, it's a business. The top a business. surgery is a business. Mm-hmm. You know, when people are transitioning, and I looked into more of that disgusting shoulder reduction surgery. That uh-huh. you talked about for men who want to, or not men, narrow teenage boys who want to narrow their shoulders to look like women. Uh-huh. That is so barbaric. Oh. Well. Oh. It shouldn't know, even be allowed. None of it should be allowed. Well, people might quickly say, well, uh, excuse me, Dan and Amy, but I don't see an MD after either one of your names. So what do you know? That's a good question. Three one, yeah. Glad I asked myself it. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. You can also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment because I'm worried this could lead to eating disorders down the road. You know, shaming of kids or you're fat. Yeah, but they're gonna grow out of it. I mean, I was a middle school coach for de- J- more than ten J. B. years, and I'm telling J. B. you, Pritzker didn't. Well, but look at his son. His son, his son is in shape. His son grew out of it. His son also mm-hmm. exercised self-control and works out. Then I know that from you know people that know him, mm-hmm. and he's doing it. So is his daughter. Looks good. Mm-hmm. I sound mm-hmm. like a creep now. I don't mean to. <laughs> well, you don't want to body but, shame, and no. you know this. This no, of course not. Oh no, of course not. Um, but uh, now I'm a little confused because on the one hand, these uh, largely Democrat socialists. Two-thirds of the 67,000 members of the American Academy of Pediatrics are Democrats by their own internal survey. On the one hand, they want to attack fat. On the other hand, their fellow travelers tell us this. This is not like racism. It is racism. Anti-fatness is rooted in anti-blackness. And the reason why people are pursuing thinness is because they're pursuing proximity to whiteness. The reason why people hate fat people is because people hate black people. And appearing curvy or bigger is associated with blackness, especially black women. And that's why they're discriminated in the workplace, um, overly sexualized. And this has gone back for centuries and centuries. All systems of oppression, capitalism, sexism, racism, it all comes back to white supremacy which is the foundation of the fabric of America and rules every sector and aspect of our society. Quad error demonstratum. There you have it, QED. Uh, being anti-fat is being anti-black, is being racist, is being a white supremacist. So what is one oh, to do? <laughs> we talked about the left. Not there, Dan. We talked about the left cannibalizing the left pun intended here when it came to colleges earlier in the show 
Well, here's the left cannibalizing the left again. So what are we to do? So but going back to the question I posed to myself. Yes, because you love to talk to yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm not a doctor. So where do I get off challenging the judgment of the American Academy of Pediatrics? Well, you just don't care about children because the AAP says more than 14.4 million children and teens are obese. Yeah, I'll tell you why I'm skeptical of the advice and counsel of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Because this is the same group that featured this performance at a recent conference. We talked about it, but I'll remind you. Dr. Marissa Ledinsky is an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And this is what she said to a conference of pediatricians about the suicide of a young person suffering from gender dysphoria. And in the final days of 2014, a local 16-year-old young lady, Lila Elkhorn, of trans experience, stepped boldly in front of a tractor trailer ending her life. Her suicide note, written to post on social media about an hour after her death, went viral, literally around the world. Now, Lila was not my patient, but I took care of hundreds of her classmates at Kings Mills High School. But each day on the way to work, I passed that spot where this teen boldly ended her life, pleading for her. I mean, what is wrong with that person? A step boldly in front of a tractor trailer ending her life. She said it twice, so it's not misspeaking no, it's like she and took he's one clearly not misspeaking so uh glorifying suicide oh, sick. which interestingly interestingly um the aaap has a website healthychildren.org which explicitly warns that glorifying suicide can have a contagious effect and inspire others to take their own lives and, and yet here they have a pediatrician speaking to a conference of colleagues doing exactly that. The politicization of medicine destroys the quality of medicine. Got a lot of text messages coming in. When I was a kid, the school lunch was a cheese sandwich and an apple. Today it's all over-processed foods. Uh, Andy in Hinsdale. So angry because it's really personal for our family. Our, our two sons were both just hectored by the pediatrician about their body mass index growing up. Mm -hmm. Always played sports, um, always active. They were just what you would call when they were b before being adolescents, what you, you would call a husky kid. Now they're two adults, super fit, super active. Our youngest is serving the Army. He's a complete beast. He's like 100, 193 pounds of pure muscle. All these kids, you know, up this society, a pill and a treatment for every condition. Yep. It's, yeah, it's, if they do bad on a test, well, maybe they have ADHD. Let's get them Ritalin. I mean, they've been shoving so, drugs on our kids since the beginning of time. It's enforced sickness, and it's not about getting better. Thanks for the call, Andy. Yeah, my son now is ripped, 6'6". Six, six. He looks fine, and he didn't need any pills. It's just part of his – he played three sports back at the time, too, when he was overweight. Uh, George in Naperville. Uh, Dan, I don't know about uh, having a, a fat child 
actually, but an imaginary fat child could come in handy because when I went on an ice cream binge in the summer, I would go in Oberweiss and I would tell them I have a fat kid in the car and the girl would laugh and give me extra, you know, helpings. And it was just for selfish reasons, but it did come in handy. Oh, my. All right, okay, George. Hey, George. Um, sort of not <laughs> like on the right street, but maybe the wrong address there, George. <laughs> uh, Carl, Gage Park. Hi, good morning. I don't know why we're even talking about this. Because I thought Michelle Obama had this all uh, with uh, settled with their "Let's Move" yeah. exercise program for youth. Let's yeah. move. Yeah, and the yeah. salad bars at schools, which later became like Thanks, Carl. backpack racks. Backpack mm-hmm. racks. I should say. Well, and she's salad. quite she's quite the physical oh, specimen herself. She's good looking. Gorgeous. I love Michelle. Obama. Stunning. She's beautiful. Beautiful. Oh. You have to tell me. Used to work out with her at East Bank Club. Come on! I, I used to watch her when she played for the Knicks. Oh, st- stop! Bob it. in Edison Park. You're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, Dan, you called it. You're not an MD. You got to trust the science. I mean, and these parents now who are shocked over this, the same parents who ran out and got their young kids vaxxed, and now they're going to sit there like virtue signaling, like this is horrible. We, who knows what the vax does? What if you had to get this kid this fat surgery and these pills to keep him in sports or to keep him in school? Mm. Then it would be totally justified, correct? Because they poison their kids with that potentially, and they didn't care because the school and the science, that was more important. What a joke. Thank, well, the, the CDC call, says they have to do this because overweight kids are at higher risk for asthma, sleep apnea, bone and joint problems, type 2 diabetes, heart disease. Dan, we're saving lives here. Of course, always saving lives. Always. If it's just um, one life we save. Since Bob brought up COVID, I should go back to the scoreboard here, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going over the AAP's recent track record. How do you think they're faring? From masking toddlers to boosters for 12-year-olds, The group's guidelines were consistently out of sync with the rest of the world, but very much in line with the demands of their Democrat colleagues. Uh, The AAP cared much more about political science than true science, said one pediatrician. It's not all pediatricians, but make sure yours is one that's interested in medicine and not politics. Uh, When schools began to reopen at first in red states, the AAP advised that every child, including toddlers, should remain masked for the duration of the day. Despite the fact that the AAP had, until then, again on their own website, stressed the importance of facial cues for early childhood development, but that's by the boards. Uh, the organization didn't just recommend masks, it lobbied politicians to require them. Oh, of course. And this is in August. In August 2021, an uh, email obtained by the Washington Free Beacon, the Colorado chapter of the AAP urged members to contact the state's governor expressing support for a mask mandate in Colorado public schools. Three months later, the Iowa, three months later, the Iowa chapter, so this is towards the end of 2021, where we knew a lot more than we knew at the beginning. Three months later, the Iowa chapter submitted an amicus brief challenging a state law that prohibited school mask mandates, and so on, and so on, and so on. Uh-huh. Oh, speaking of masks, they're coming back at Duke University. Wonderful. And the kids are happy to oblige. Listen to this. It gets a little hot, for sure, but I would rather wear the masks than put people's lives at stake. (laughs) Our best and brightest. 
to? University. Mark in Plainfield. Don't put it on your resume. Good morning, Amy and Dan. Uh, if you want a perfect example how the crazy left contradicts itself, this is the issue. Uh, they say if uh, you don't like fat people, you're a racist. Well, you know what? Pedophiles like skinny, small, petite children. So does that make uh, Maps white supremacist and is Nambla now the new clan? <sighs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to need to graph that sentence. Uh, okay, thanks for the call, Mark. Uh, Jan Hoffman Estates. Yeah, Dan, listen, uh, you know, CPS has been feeding kids three meals a day for how many years already? And that's the SDIU uh, union, and, uh, you know, they're doing that. Plus, they got all these, uh, how many children are fat in Chicago that are on birth control pills, you know, because I guess men and women can now take birth control pills. Well, we know men can men can menstruate. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the call, Jan. Well, yeah, and and also, too, hadn't we moved uh, in recent years to eliminate gym as a requirement? And, we, well, and, and I remember pre-pandemic, we were worried about uh, sedentary kids spending all their times in front of a screen. But, but no, none of that is our issues to address. We'll just, uh, yeah, just pop a pill and go under the knife. Yeah, we used to have gym every day. Now it depends on the school, but most have it two times a week, maybe three times a week. Mm-hmm. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, we were able to obtain some exclusive audio of one of the last flights that uh, made it down in Chicago before the uh, ground stop was put in place by the FAA because of this glitch with the NOTAM system. Really? I, I didn't realize until the reporting that it's NOTAM, so I'll get to that in a second. But uh, this exclusive audio from uh, one of the last flights that landed before the ground halt. Are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's a little bit more serious than Mike Scott was reporting because he didn't mention the coffee situation. Yes. So uh, hopefully the NOTAM comm system gets up and running and all the planes are fully equipped with coffee. Yes, according to the CNN, the FFA, they just lifted uh, FAA? all the FAA. Excuse me. The, uh, the ground stoppage has just been lifted. Okay, but thousands of flights are still delayed, so. So the no, but and so for people get that get a little jittery about um, flying. This is uh, and it was mentioned in one of the reports. This is not a, uh, a, a this is not really a a flight safety thing. Like the integrity of the system, uh, the air traffic control is not compromised. The integrity of the planes and so on and so forth. No TAMs um, are. Uh, notes that pilots get. I remember this from my flight training. It, like it, it, you can get notes, com notes about um, uh, runway closures, obstructions. Like uh, there's a water buffalo lying dead on 14 right, 32 left. You want to look out for that. Something like this. Um, also, instrument approach procedures. Um, so there's just a, a bunch of different things where that system can communicate to pilots about uh, various. Uh, contextual factors in flying to or from a particular airport. So that's what the so that's when they were talking about the comm system. That's what they were talking about. Apparently, anyway. All right. So 
uh, all will be right with the world. Uh, uh, P-Butt can go back to sloughing off, doing whatever he does every day. Uh, shortly, it appears. Yeah, he could ride his bike to the White House. And we found out yeah, uh, yesterday do that. he took a private plane to go do a radio interview. Oh, that's bad. Uh, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about Soldier Field, uh, the excitement. Uh, thank, thank you, Levy Smith, of the Bears getting the number one pick in next year's draft uh, based on having the worst record in the NFL this year. The most exciting 3-4 and four team you'll ever see, thanks to Justin Fields. But... Hey, first time in 75 years, right, that we get the first-round draft pick? Uh, first pick overall. Oh, first, yeah, there we go. First pick overall. And uh, you may have seen, by the way, you may have seen their pick uh, on Monday night in the national championship game. I mean, I think there's a decent chance that they take Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. They need so much help. I mean, I know there's some quarterbacks that are attractive, but I, I assume they stick with fields and they got so many needs on the lines and they need a, a speed receiver. Got so many needs. But anyway, speaking of that, I digress before we get to Soldier Field, even though this is exciting. First pick overall, are they going to move Darlington Heights? There's been a last-ditch reimagined Soldier Field plan put forward by Triple Threat and her office that I want to talk about. But um, one of the great all-time rants about uh, a football game, college football game, particularly from somebody who... I, I was neither a TCU or a Georgia fan, as far as I can tell. Larry from Starkville, Mississippi, the home of. Ooh, Brett Favre? No, what school? Oh, I. Uh, Ole Miss? It's one of two. Yeah. Uh, it's either one or the other Mississippi one. Mississippi State. Yeah, there you go. Hey! Uh, Larry from Starkville. Yeah. Uh, as the national championship game on Monday night was, I think, at the point he goes off. Uh, it was like 45 to 7. So 20 points had yet to be scored, and he had already lost his business. Take a listen. What have you given us? <laughs> this is a national championship game. That's what this is. It is 45 to 7. You thought TCU belonged in this game? What was the qualifications, College Football Playoff Committee? What was the qualifications? <laughs> Getting beat by Kansas State. That qualifies you for this game. The biggest game of the year. Oh the game that every college football fan, no matter what team they pull for, looks forward to. Mm-hmm. And this is the garbage that you gave us. Pathetic. You are pathetic. This is a disaster. This is a barn fire. And every one of you. Not one of you deserves to be on that committee if this is what you think college football is supposed to look like. You owe us all an apology. Every one of you that's on that committee that pulled some crap like this deserves us all an apology. And I want it. This better not ever happen again. This committee needs to be redone Got done away with whatever you want to call it. Uh This is garbage. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's almost like Larry had uh, TCU in the under. But, um, uh, I mean, not to disagree with Larry because I don't want him to have an aneurysm. But, um, you know, I mean. be too late for that. (laughs) How do they get there? They they beat Michigan, an undefeated team. So, you know, what do you – I know it was uh, it was an embarrassing performance, but uh, 
What are you going to do? Uh, so, so, all right. So back to a season long, uh, season full of embarrassing performances, the Bears. Uh, this uh, reimagined. Have you seen the reimagined? Oh, yes. It's Soldier uh, Field. Because if you want to be serious about something, when it comes to Chicago, you want to use Bill Curtis oh, yeah. as your spokesman. Chicago oh, yeah. is on the verge of transforming one of our most storied civic assets into the very definition of the next generation of sports and entertainment venues. Tell me when you've had enough. How do we get there? How do we get By reimagining Soldier Field in a way that addresses all of the emerging trends that tomorrow's mm. fans will demand. Welcome to Soldier Field. Ah, oh, and there's a The Veterans Memorial is a monument to those who served our nation. A celebrated place, bridging our past to our future and paying tribute to Illinois veterans and their families, not just on game day, but every day. Journey up to the historic colonnades. Okay. The bur- right, you, you get uh, the idea. Yeah, I mean, it's a little hard to take him seriously after the Ron Burgundy VO that he did. But, uh, okay, sure. Um, it's also a little difficult to take this proposal seriously. But did you see what it includes? They're going to put a dome on it. Oh, yeah. You know. That dome uh, that Mayor Daley didn't want back in the day. We don't need a dome. We're hardy mm-hmm. Chicago. No, sir, you need a dome. Uh-huh. And, and then gonna, they the got plans, 10,000 more seats, a few more skyboxes. Oh, but the best is the transportation. The metro's going to land there. The CTA, blue line, red line. Then they're going to have the Chicago Loop, like the people mover in Detroit. Because yeah. it's impossible to get to Soldier Field. I don't care if you're seeing a soccer game, a concert, a <laughs> beers game. But this is going to happen. Yeah. And then it connects to the stadium so you don't have to brave the elements. You can walk in this beautiful glass tunnel. It's gorgeous. There's bars. There's bands. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, the CTA is going to bring me that <laughs> social field. A walk-off yeah, shot a, with a gun wound. That's an attractive option. Uh-huh. Yeah, Bill Curtis. Bill Curtis. Uh, you know, Bill Curtis. So this is Mookie. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. And suits so fine, they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Uh, and so, uh, so that's not going to happen. Um, the and and this is good. I mean, even though the Bears have not secured the Arlington Heights property yet, they're going to do so in the first quarter of this year. And this is a done deal. Even though they're talking about some public support they need for the development in Arlington Heights, uh, there's there's it just doesn't this doesn't make any sense this proposal not to mention you have a city that can't underwrite anything near the infrastructure that's their uh re they're they're imagining with this reimagining of soldier field it's going to, it's, they're going darling tonight's okay yeah, but this is her mayor da- or mayor daily mayor lightfoot's last ditch attempt to try and save them mm-hmm. but guess what they don't care you can bring any you know, bill, bring in Bill Curtis, bring in a you know graphics package story you want. It's not going to work. Well, it's just to, it I mean, even even if she hadn't been so flippant when they float, where they were sort of openly oh. toying with the idea and said, you know, they should worry about beating the Packers and get, sort of gave them gave uh, the Bears the back of her hand. And even if the city wasn't disintegrating before our very eyes, it's just too attractive an offer to have three hundred twenty five acres. And the infrastructure that's already in place there, surface infrastructure and train, 
to Arlington Heights, and you can build one of these, uh, you know, self-contained entertainment districts like you see uh, having been constructed in places like L.A. with SoFi Stadium. I mean, it's just too it's too attractive. It makes too much sense business wise. It would increase the value of the franchise by so much more than continuing to try to make this sort of unwieldy situation at Soldier Field work. I mean, the it just doesn't the opportunity is too good to pass up. And look, if he's oh Chicago Bears, you know they started out this the Decatur Staley's. Uh, uh, okay, now they're in city proper, but the, keep the name. And you know, how many franchises in the NFL, sports franchises, are uh, in the suburbs of a major metropolitan area in which they're located? So, you know, that's just something, just another thing that moves out of the city. And, you know, again, uh, this is just a corporation. So when big corporations leave the city of Chicago, what are we told to do? We're told to shrug our shoulders. Companies yeah. come yeah. and go. No big deal. So Chicago Bears go to Arlington Heights. I'm just going to adopt the the Lightfoot and political ruling class protocol. No what, big deal. And the response too is like, maybe we'll have a second NFL NFL team come in if they build this. Yeah. <laughs> What's well, yeah. just the democratic delusion that we that they live in? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. yeah go ahead and pitch that. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM five sixty. The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, just got a text from a friend of mine who's a uh, a real pilot, you know, not like a hobbyist like me, like a pilot for a major carrier. Did not yeah. know this. The what? NOTAM system that we were talking about, the comm system that was down that grounded these flights this morning. Yeah. It stands for notice to airmen, or it used to. Like everything else that got sanitized by the left, it's now notice to air missions. Can't use airmen yeah. anymore. Notice to air missions. Heck. Yeah, well. Of course. Missions, <laughs> missions note themselves, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, well. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, Mayor Triple Threat. She is the mayor of the city of Chicago, you may have heard. She's running for re-election. And uh, she's in a real dogfight to get to the runoff because of her substantial unpopularity for all kinds of obvious reasons, policy and personality-wise. But she's uh, tried to present a kinder, gentler Lori Lightfoot. She's donned the proverbial cardigan sweater, said uh, mistakes have been made, but... We've come so far, and there's so far to go, and I can lead us to, for example, being the safest big city in America. You wouldn't know it by watching the news or listening to the haters. But on crime, Mayor Lightfoot's got a plan. She's putting more police on the streets and getting more guns off them. When it comes to new strategies, new technology, Lightfoot's invested more than any mayor. Those are facts. Anyone that says there are simple solutions is lying. We didn't get here overnight, and we have a long way to go. But Lightfoot won't quit until we're the safest big city in America. Ta-da! Bingo! All done. Nothing to see here. Yeah, there's not a lot of simple solutions, but there are things that readily exacerbate the problems, and they're very simple to understand, like police 
staffing is down 12 percent. And uh, she and her cohorts have been antagonistic toward police. In addition to being permissive with habitual criminals. And that certainly makes the solutions that much more difficult to obtain, doesn't it? Well, that's our view, but let's talk to another mayoral candidate in our continuing effort to bring you to make the uh, candidates for mayor of Chicago in uh, 2023, primary February 28th. Jamal Green is a neighborhood advocate. He uh, ran for mayor in 2019, so he's one of the many candidates in this field that are running a second time. Jamal, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, by the way, website, gogreenchicago.com, gogreenchicago.com. And I, I think that's a bit of a Go double green. entendre, but we'll uh, we'll get there. Um, so what about uh, Lori Lightfoot? She's got a plan. Uh, things are improving. There's more work to do, and she's ready to do it. How about she has a plan or not? Because <laughs> uh, we've been waiting on it for some years now. Uh, and if she does have a plan, it's just not working, and we can't take it for another four years. We've had 700-plus homicides in the last three years. She has no connection to the stakeholders and communities, to the organizations on the ground. Um, there's literally no connection from City Hall to any neighborhood that is um, experiencing um, some sort of violence. Um, we can't take another four years of um, Lori Lightfoot and David Brown um, you know, uh, I, I play Where's Waldo with him, you know, every week because no one even knows what he does or where he is. Um, we got to get this city and, in, 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 you know, under control, make public safety a priority. Um, and that's what we're, we're moving for in our public safety plan uh, and in our administration. Yeah, well, 700 killed in one year. But what is your public safety plan? How is it going to work? Yes. So our public safety plan ranges over many different things. Um, it's called EPIC, Economic Prosperity, Prevention, Intervention, and CPD Reform. Uh, and EPIC tackles, uh, I'm sorry, Economic Prosperity tackles how we're going to invest in neighborhoods and rebuild them from increasing home ownership with a single-family mortgage bond to increasing affordable housing units to um, creating uh, new jobs, uh, as well as incentivizing folks to develop on vacant lots uh, in the neighborhoods. Then when you talk about um, you know, we also talk about a public bank in that. Uh, let me just want to throw that in there, in which the city of Chicago would create its own economic engine to invest back into neighborhoods, and all of the profit that comes back from that city charter goes back into city services so that we can really, um, you know, start investing in the city. When you talk about intervention and prevention, you're talking about starting setting kids up early so that they don't become the next generation of criminals, right? So universal 3K, so that three-year-olds, can start having school early, um, you know, really making sure that that next generation don't turn out like this one. Intervention, a youth intervention department to put them on the right path, reentry program so that folks who return home have a pathway, um, and then we must increase the amount of detectives so that we can uh, um, improve our clearance rate, invest in new technology so that it can help them uh, track down uh, carjackers. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we want to do in that EPIC plan that's on our website at gogreenchicago.com, um, and it's it's very comprehensive and detailed, and I don't think any campaign has moved forward a plan thus far. Uh, universal pre-K, well, that would be great as a gateway to the Chicago public school system. Um, yep. how's, how's Chicago public school system performing in your estimation, and in uh, particular, 
particularly, yeah, right. And particularly um, comment on that OIG report that was released last week that essentially details systemic sexual abuse of students in the schools, as well as potentially a massive criminal financial fraud committed by CPS on the taxpayers of Chicago and Illinois. Yeah, this this stuff has been going on for so many years. I know. Um, it, it really it really kills me because you know these stories come out and it's like we've been we've been through this. <laughs> it's like it took you guys a long time to figure it out. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, CPS needs to overhaul. Um, it really makes no sense how CPS is ran, how the funds are being mismanaged, um, how we don't prioritize teachers and students. Um, and you know, we, we're gonna. What is going to be my, one of my biggest priorities uh, is to get CPS in order. Well, what's, what, 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 what does the overhaul look like? What, what, how do you want to change how the system functions? Because if you agree that you know this Politburo-like operation isn't working, then what what is the system? What should it look like? Well, here's the thing. There's some things that I'll be able to do, but then also the state uh, just passed the elected school board. So that'll be what coming in place in, uh, within the next year. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's going to play a part in, in what that overhaul looks like. Um, obviously, when you talk about uh, um, the administration, uh, it needs to change. We need some transparency and, and, and also, you know, some oversight there. Um, and then we really have to take this, um, you know, school by school. You know, I'm looking to, uh, as mayor, visit every public school in the city of Chicago um, so that we can really see the needs and, and where we must prioritize and the things that are really going on that never reach um, the mayor's office. Well, one of the things one of the things we know from the data, what's really what's really going on is kids are not learning to do math or read at grade level. We know yeah. that. Nope. The other thing that's really going on that's just that's just uh, incontrovertible based on the data is you have dozens and dozens of schools that are at five, ten, fifteen, twenty percent occupancy. What? Yep. Why do why do those schools stay open? So, well, here's the thing. The thing is, is that the city has always pushed, um, you know, charter schools and other schools. There's also um, an enrollment-based formula that does not work, right? And so what happens is if you send kids to another school uh, and that school doesn't get the investment, then it just becomes poor, 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 poor in, in education and the amount of teachers and the ratio of counselors, et cetera. So what happens is people look at that school and say, I want to send my kids there. They said I can send them to the charter school. And then what that does is that takes more money away from that public school. Well, well, if, yeah, if, but if, there's so many schools that are open that do not like Fanger has less than 200 kids there. Well, and if wait, if, if yeah, people, I don't, well, I don't understand. I don't understand this. Kids, if, if, to send their kids to Fanger. Right. Well, if people don't want to send their kids to Fanger, then close Fanger and expand uh, schools that they do want to send them to. If an expansion is even needed, the way that CPS is losing student enrollment, um, what, what, why do you want to force? parents to send their kids to a school they don't want to send their kids to and nobody and well, nobody's there it's not about it's not about uh, forcing um well it is to send their kids to school Here, here's the thing the thing is is that if you have an institution and you got to go let's go all the way back you have an institution that is not properly invested in they have a lack of teachers they have a lack of resources of course parents are not going to want to send their kids to that school but if you have a school 
that is properly funded what? with the, the proper amount of teachers and the proper investment. That's just never happened in public school. That's not happening what, nowhere we, we on spend, the spend... side. So you're saying basically shut no. them all down because no. none of them are. No. None of them no, no, are no, really no, 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 no. enrolled because they no. aren't invested in. No, that's. I mean, it's just I mean, Jamal. That's just not true. I mean, we spend thirty thousand, roughly thirty thousand, maybe it's fifty. Uh, or closer to 50 based on this OIG report. But let's just say that there's 330,000 kids in CPS. It's got a $10 billion budget. That's that's you know, rough. That's $30,000 a kid. You gotta, it's not you a resource break it down, issue. Break it down on the school, though. you got to break it down on the, the, the schools. What's how, about we break it, how about we break it down on the kid and attach the money to the kid? Well, that's what that's what happens. But unfortunately, that those monies are being misappropriated. The teachers don't even have what they need to teach. The students uh, um, uh, don't even have books that are even updated. This is literally what's going on on the south and west sides, and I challenge you to go and tour these schools. There are only uh, so many schools that get the correct amount uh, of resources. But on the south and west side, the vast majority of schools are performing poorly because they get no type of investment. And what happens is that the attendance level continues to to decrease because either kids drop out because there's no resource for them or there is um, uh, or parents send them to another school because they don't want them to go to that school because it's violent or it's not getting the resources there. So you got to really start to look at the South and West side. There are dozens and dozens of buildings that we have that are being underutilized um, that are underfunded. And at the end of the day, that goes back to our fiscal house. You talk, you just said ten billion dollars, right? And it is, it makes no sense. So where's the money? Where, exactly. where is it? Where is that's it? My, that's that's my point. And we must make sure that we do a full audit on CPS once we walk in. Yeah. And second of all, we got to change, um, you know, uh, uh, how we're spending our funding streams. These schools are. I, I go in and read books to to, to kids and 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 schools. In, in our neighborhoods, and it, it would pain you if you really saw. I've um, been in the schools. I've been in them. I've been. I've been to a lot of these schools, and it's the, and and I've spoken a lot at many schools in, in Chicago, and I'm not talking about the Tony ones on the north side. Mm-hmm. And it's it's depressing. The whole thing is it depressing. Is. Um, it is. But but it's but it's not a resource issue. I mean, I would agree with you to some extent that it's a resource management and allocation issue but 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 i i you know uh i don't hear you saying that you believe in empowering families with the resources that provide the same choice as the rich families have and that's and that makes no sense to me how can you not be for you know tax credit scholarships and allowing parents to choose the best learning environment for their kids well, you know, listen, what I'm saying is is that our public schools, as the mayor of the city of Chicago, that's under our, our control, right? And at the end of the day, what I'm saying is that we need to create the highest quality system in this country where you can get a quality education at every public school in this city to where even parents that are paying feels like, wow, this is finally a time that I can decrease the amount of money that I'm spending on, on, on my kids each and every month by sending them to a public school that's going to finally give them the education that they deserve. That's what I'm saying. I what I'm saying that- is I want to create a world-class school so that there is not uh, an abundance of private schools. And, a, and I'm very sure most of those families 
don't want to spend all of that money, but they have to because they want to get their kids a better education. Everybody should be afforded that in this okay, city. Real quick, Wad- rich and poor will all send their kids to public school. Wadsworth Elementary, the mayor is going to eventually house migrants there. Are you for that or against it? Uh, I'm against it. Um, I think that um, for several reasons. Um, one one big reason is that the community, first of all, wasn't even talked to about it, right? And the fact is, is that these schools were shut down. Uh, predominantly uh, black schools were shut down uh, uh, many years ago. And, you know, been looking for purposes. We're looking, there could have been many different things to really help the community. Um, and now we're here saying, oh, well, we have a crisis. We're going to throw, throw them in this building without a plan. Um, you know, it makes no sense. Uh, at the end of the day, we got to get control over what's happening um, at the border and, and really go to, to the federal government and say, listen, this is really affecting us in our bottom line. Um, and, you know, this, this, this has to be a priority for the city because we obviously uh, can't afford it. So then you, you would uh, uh, support repealing the city sanctuary city designation? I'm not saying that either. <laughs> what I'm saying... <laughs> Is, we can't you know, afford we can't afford the consequences of our policies, but I don't want to change the policy. Well, you know, here, here's the thing. You know, Hare Washington implemented the sanctuary city, um, you know, ordinance. All right, um, and at the end of the day, it was in in good faith uh, at the time. Obviously, we're in different times. We need to look at um, making this a sanctuary city for everyone in our city as well. Um, this is, there's a lot of different things that need to happen. Uh, and we're going to analyze the whole situation, um, you know, when I'm there. Do you think the uh, Chicago Teachers Union is a force for quality education? You know, I think that <laughs> I think that there are a lot of teachers in the union that really wants to, um, you know, push for uh, better education and a priority resources for teachers and students. Uh, I don't think that the leadership always, um, you know, does what they're supposed to do to meet the needs of those teachers. Um, and sometimes, a lot of times, get caught up in politics. Um, you know, that, that's what I'll say. So, I mean, you're, you're a young guy, um, which is great. It's great to have young people involved in politics. I wish there were more, they were more of a conservative uh, bent, as you well know I do. But, um, but, but it does seem to me, even though I, we disagree on a lot of things, that you're sort of, an antagonist of the staid political establishment in Chicago. Is that a fair characterization? For sure. For sure. 100 percent. I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> and so, so part of it. and, and so, and so the, that establishment needs to be, there needs to be an upheaval against that establishment for the purpose of doing what in your view? For the purpose of changing all of the systems that, you know, have been put in place that is not in the best interest um, of the people of the city of Chicago. Um, We need to take down some and create new ones uh, and just start to change how the city operates. Right now, the the city is in a state where people um, are paying high taxes, um, can't even send their kids to a, a, a quality school in their neighborhood. Um, you know, all of these different problems are happening. Their quality of life is poor, but they're paying a lot of money for it. They don't feel safe. They don't feel that the government is, is, is looking out for them. They're looking out for themselves. That must change. The people must start to feel, I want to build a, a family here. I want to raise my family here. I want to send my kids to a school. 
neighborhood. I, I don't want to be taxed out of town. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of things that uh, um, we must do, and, you know, I'm ready to start to turn the tide. At the end of the day, I'm a compromiser. Um, people will be first. So every policy that, that hits my desk, um, that's going to be how I govern is, you know, what's in the best interest of the people, short and long term. Every policy should be based off of how it's going to affect my kids, the next generation of Chicagoans. Uh, and when we do that, I think that, you know, there are some fights that we're, we're willing to wage. He is Jamal Green. He's a neighborhood advocate and a 2023 candidate for mayor. Primary is February 28th. GoGreenChicago.com is where you can find more information about his candidacy for mayor. Jamal, thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.